0: Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 23. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Today's episode is a discussion that I recently had with my co hosts, Sam Dominguez and James Sumners. On today's episode, we discuss why Jews have to become Christians in order to be God's people. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a sermon, a Bible class, or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope will inspire you to have similar conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. What we talked about in class was that, you know, I compared it to, you know, the seal or the sign of the covenant. Um in in my marriage and our marriages you know our our wedding rings are the seal or the sign of that covenant and so the comparison that that paul makes is after the death of your spouse then that covenant is no longer binding and and so the sign of the seal has no real significance and so the the truth of the matter is that after the death of jesus the sign of circumcision because the law had been fulfilled and the um um, that covenant was done away with, it, it, as Hebrews 8 says, you know, it was becoming obsolete, it was obsolete, um, then that sign had no real significance. But that would be a huge... A huge thing to say to the people of God. You know this sign that has set you par- apart from all of the people that has shown that you are the people of God. Now that's absolutely meaningless, and now people can be a part of this group of the people of God. In fact, it, a better way might be to put it that that you know we we talked about in class this morning that it would be like it would be like talking about. Um, a club or something like that that you went through this initiation and you know maybe you were branded on your arm or something like that and you know you received in your flesh a a mark that you were a part of this club and then that club was disbanded in order to make room for a different club that you could come into and be a part of but there was a different term of initiation and a different sign and a seal that you were part of that club. And so, yeah, I mean, the, we should be able to empathize with the Jews and say, wow, that would be extremely hard to say my circumcision means nothing my the righteousness i had felt like i had attained prior to uh the new covenant and the new kingdom i I really hadn't achieved any righteousness and and i just like the gentile have to die and be buried and be raised up to walk in a new life
1: I, i think we often uh in so many aspects of life but but we do it spiritually speaking all the time we we confuse something having no longer any significance with just uh oh well then i guess it was just a waste of time from the get right you know, right the entirety of it was it was a waste of time you know and uh, if you want to know why i had that vocal inflection it's because i was impersonating my son <laughs> because you know you, you give that one little criticism and, and it, oh well everything just blah mm-hmm. you know kind of stuff and and you get that overreaction but we we do the same thing and it was never that they, the, the Jewish Christians uh, in Acts 15, needed to understand. Oh, but circumcision was just a waste. Well, it was never a waste. Right. It was the sign, and now it no longer is. The covenant they were a part of, they were blessed to have seen it come to its conclusion, mm-hmm. which was the promise that they were waiting for. Mm-hmm. You know that they should have recognized they were in that blessed time. But they, they struggled to understand it, and so you know, the apostles didn't just immediately side with the Gentile Christians and just say, you know what, they're right, that's worthless, just forget it, get out of here, get over yourselves. Uh, they recognized what what those those Pharisees who became believers were were trying to say was you know these Gentile Christians need to take steps to be more holy people to be more righteous people, and the way they understood best to do that was to try and and bind the law. They need to be needed to be reminded, no, the law can't be bound. The law you can't certainly can't just pick and choose. You know mm-hmm. like like Paul says, if you're going to bind a part of it, you would have to bind all of it and and whatnot. But they they didn't just throw out the baby with the bathwater, they said, no, no, that was important, mm-hmm. and we have to recognize what now is important and, and not confuse the two. And, and it really, the significance of that meeting in, in Acts really hits home with me in that, and one of the questions that I asked, got asked in class this morning was, well, did the apostles know what was right, or did Paul have to set them straight, too, and the elders in Jerusalem? And the, the conclusion we came to was, no, they knew what was right,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the meeting that they had was an effort to teach everyone, this is how you handle things mm-hmm. like this, you know? These people weren't trying to stir up trouble. They had legitimate concerns that needed to be addressed.
0: And we can understand that. I mean, you know, you, you think about, and I think that that was always the the reaction and, and and again, it makes it makes very much sense why the Judaizers would always meet Paul with opposition when he would say, listen, we're not under the law, we're under grace. I mean, it's the same opposition that we face today when, when we say similar things. And people say, whoa, 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 whoa. If you take away the law, then there's nothing to restrain people. There's nothing to keep them from, from being worldly. And Paul's argument is always that the love of Christ is what restrains us. The love of Christ is what compels us. It is is the cross that and the and the Holy Spirit within us that changes our mentality and our life and and that took some getting used to and it still takes some getting used to for that matter and, and so I think that um, we have to I think you're right I think that we have to empathize and I think that that's what's so remarkable about that meeting and about Paul's letter to the Galatians to a certain extent that was a pretty rough letter you know I mean and rightfully so but uh, but but especially Romans in, in Romans Paul deals with all of those things that we're just saying i mean you know because like you said our tendency to say fine then it was just all worth it worthless you know why did we even do that in the first place and so paul deals with that it was the law sin was it wrong no absolutely not he says in galatians it was this tutor to bring you to christ i mean it served its purpose and you jews had a huge advantage over the gentiles because you've been taught by the law and and so both circumcision and the law had 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 their place, and they were good, wonderful, God given things to bring them to a certain point, and then it was their responsibility to to tutor the the Gentiles who didn't have the advantage they had.
2: You know, maybe I'm just distracted here, but when I when I'm ever thinking about everything that we're talking about, and considering the context of of covenants and relationships with with God and and the things that He set up. All of this, the the whole process kind of reminds me of like marriage in the Old Testament and uh, the laws uh, about marriage and how when when someone would they would get married and then and this is, sounds kind of weird but but uh, when someone would get married and then their spouse would die well if a woman's spouse dies then then if he has well uh, if he has brothers then they, they take over. And in a sense, that's kind of what's happening with the old, te- from the old Testament to the new Testament, the old law to the new covenant is that, that we're being one, one covenant is ending and then a new covenant is beginning and the old covenant is done away. And now you're going to be provided for a, a continue, continual provision, um, that it's not again like you're saying it's not something that we throw away because that relationship the old law the the old covenant brought, brings me to a, to a relationship with God already and if i if i all i have to do is obey and i already know how to be pleasing to God because the law tells me how to be pleasing to God it but there's a lot of there's a lot of the physical stuff in it it teaches me about that and then and then we go into the new covenant and and we still have that provision in that relationship, that that kind of marital uh, relationship, and, and and I can imagine that would be a hard thing to understand, even as a person going into that, like transitioning from one relationship into another. I can't even possibly imagine what would that would have been like in the in the world of their time. But that's something that, to a certain degree, they understood, but they didn't apply that kind of concept of the covenant of the Old Testament. To themselves in the transition and the process, it was more of like the the Old Testament, the Old Covenant didn't die, um, but Paul talks about how the Old Testament, the old the Old Covenant was done away, um, and that was done away because the the author of it more or less died. Right, his his life was sacrificed. But when he's raised up, then this new covenant comes in mm-hmm. that is more complete, that isn't has shadow of all of that. But is the actuality of all that? That's
0: a phenomenal point. I I never even thought about that before, that that God did not leave the remnant. He didn't leave the bride not taken care of, that that law was—that marriage covenant was was fulfilled, and and in a sense, in that sense, in a good sense, it was broken. God didn't break it, as in not keep it, but he kept it. He kept it to the point of death. He loved his bride unto the point of death, and then the author, as you said, died, and then upon his resurrection, this new covenant—and so in a sense, he is the same bridegroom, but he is a new bridegroom, and and it is a new bride that is made up of both the remnants and and the gentiles and so he didn't leave his his bride to be a widow he he took care of her and and that's a beautiful beautiful thing well i mean
1: and, and that brings a little bit of clarification as to why the the gospel was first to the Jews mm-hmm. you know if the intention was always to open the doors of the kingdom to everyone well then why did it first come to the Jews well because they were the chosen people mm-hmm. and and they had to be cared for first mm-hmm. they had to make the transition into the new covenant first uh, because that was a priority, but then the, the as James later explains in, in in during that meeting, that was always God's intention was that the tabernacle be rebuilt and the remnant be maintained, mm-hmm. but then also the Gentiles would be brought in, and but thinking about what, uh, not not James sitting next to me, but James in <laughs> in Acts chapter <laughs> fifteen said, um, it really struck me as to the way I've always thought about that particular struggle where those particular Jewish Christians who, who, who came out of the tradition of the Pharisees, I've always tried to describe it as they were saying to be a good Christian you first had to be a good Jew, and that they had to be instructed that no, they, they don't need to be a good Jew, they simply need to be a good Christian because they there was no Old Covenant for them to partake in. Um, but the thing that struck me, especially after I was really contemplating James's explanation where he says, okay, we've, we've heard from the apostles, we've heard from the Spirit, because these men are authorized to speak, let's also remind ourselves that this is what the prophet says. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting when you think about, well, yeah, as a challenge to the Jews, the Jewish Christians, they would have understood the prophets, but that was also an explanation to the Gentile Christians, that they can understand their place. And it really struck me this morning as i was as i was contemplating on that that is it necessary to be a good christian that first you be a good jew no but is it necessary that you understand the people of god Mm -hmm. and their relationship with god yes it is Mm -hmm. and so that that really was the beginning of an instruction to these gentile christians that yes this stuff doesn't apply to you in the sense that you were never under that covenant but it behooves you, and to be a good Christian, to be the righteous people you're trying to be. You need to understand now the history of these peoples mm-hmm. that were different than you. Mm-hmm. You need to understand the relationship God had with His people in order to be a better Jew, and in order to be a better Christian, rather. And that really struck me because, as modern day quote unquote New Testament Christians. How often do we just leave that all in the past? Mm -hmm. We try and focus on everything New Covenant forward and fail to recognize that we ourselves need to understand all of these old things, the things that still mattered then. In order to fulfill our obligations to God now,
0: mm-hmm. and and I think that that's part of why why it said at that meeting that Moses is still read in all of the synagogues, and I and I think that, that that was important, not because and that that the meeting clarified, and there's people that uh, for whatever reason they still come away from reading that that account of that meeting, still thinking that oh no 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 they're still under the law, they just we're we're giving time to to learn it and that's not at all what was being said it was the very opposite but but they were saying that the gentiles do need to hear about Moses they need to they need to attend synagogue they need to they need to learn the story of our people because we now have become a part of the people of God and that is still a part of our heritage that's still a part of our spiritual heritage galatians chapter 3 says that we are children of Abraham through faith and so um while it is a different covenant it is a new and better covenant we still are we're still part of that same that same same uh, family tree, that same family line. Uh, that one spouse died, or you know, and that that covenant was was fulfilled and done away with, and new covenant came. But there is still that that genealogy uh, in a spiritual sense. well, how how can how can the new Christian, this new Gentile Christian, have
1: faith in God? Mm-hmm. The trust of I believe that God will rescue me from my sins because of what he did? When he has no experience with God, mm-hmm. and his experience then has to go back and say, "Look at what he did for his people. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to be one of his people?" Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and
2: the that's that's the one of those arguments that that I've heard throughout my life, and even up up to the last few years. That when people say, "Well, we really don't need the Old Testament," it's like saying we don't need Jesus because he teaches from the Old Testament. He his teachings are not. Really, Jesus's teachings are not new teachings. They are they they are the the old covenant in the heart. Mm-hmm. They are saying all the stuff that I taught you. Do it with your heart. Live with your heart. Things like things like uh, um, taking care of your enemies and and praying for those who persecute you. Providing for you know those aren't new things. That's, right. That's not a new. I mean, what happens when? when uh, an army comes to Elisha to kill Elisha, he's, they get bind, he takes them to the king, says, feed them. Hmm. They came here to kill me and I'm saying, hey, let's just give them some food and they'll go away and they're probably not going to bother me anymore because of all this. But it, it's not new and we can't just reject it because it's old because the New Testament is completely dependent on that. And, and imagine, imagine that the, the New Testament testament the new uh the first century church that's what they were hearing when when what is the base of of the church well at the at the time to a certain extent the foundation of the church is going to be the the Jewish Christians, because they're going to know God, because they're going to have the, the teachings of God brought up through their lives. They're going to know the scriptures. They're going to be able to teach them things that, that they wouldn't have otherwise uh, been able to, to do. Well, I mean, they could go to the synagogues as well, but but have that brotherhood mm-hmm. uh, of those who, who would be teaching them. And so they would be teaching them about all that God did for the nation of Israel and how that that leads into this this day of of uh, joy for the gentile as they get to come into the kingdom of god
1: i mean not not to make too big of a of a point out of it but who would be the best qualified teacher in the early church it would be a pharisee who believed Mm -hmm. because he could take all of his knowledge and communicate christianity to it he could communicate the kingdom from it he could Mm -hmm. say look this is how we know these things are true look at how all this ties back together and for us to, to give the the idea that we we can cut our knowledge in half i mean not even in half there a, a fraction of the knowledge we have is contained in the new testament and the entire foundation
0: of it as you said is is in the old well and and the the let me give the other side of this because i think that that right now we're dealing with a lot of people not a lot maybe, but but we're dealing with some people that are taking this idea that I think what we've expressed has been very biblical, but they're taking it a step further and they are walking right in the footsteps of the Judaizers uh that came before. And and we're talking two thousand years later, people are are saying, Well, we really need to call God by his Hebrew name. We really need to refer to Jesus as Yeshua and you know, and, and that always is one of those things where I, I stop and I say, Well, Paul didn't, you know. Paul referred to him by the Greek transliteration of of Yeshua, and then we today refer to him by the English transliteration of the word Jesus. And so, um, it really bothers me when when people essentially say, "Well, we we need to be Hebrew in our culture. We need to adopt the you know." Unless you, in fact, I I have I have Facebook friends that 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 push back every time um, I post something, and and they really truly believe that the Torah is still in effect. they really truly believe that that um, maybe not Gentiles have to keep the Torah but they believe that at some point Gentiles will have to keep the Torah. I'm not exactly sure how all that works um, I don't want to you know build up a straw man to defeat but but, I think that, that we do need to recognize that, again, as we've been saying, you know, the, there are two covenants, and, and and both the Jew and the Gentile are on the same level. I mean, they, they stand before God both as, as sinful and as wicked and as in need of a Savior and just as saved so that there is no Jew, no, no Gentile, no slave, and no free.
1: Well, we just have to recognize that it is not the same thing to say that the Old Covenant – mattered for nothing and to also say that it was insufficient Mm -hmm. you know because that's the truth of it the old covenant was insufficient because of us and it had to be replaced and it's not like this issue went away after the big meeting in acts 15 Mm -hmm. no it was something they continued to have to deal with and at a certain uh, time paul then had to start dealing with it in terms of hey you know better than this Mm -hmm. you know and really had to lay down the facts of no, you can't try and partially cling to the law. We have no place with that, you know. And he had had to get more aggressive in in his uh, explanation. But it's it's always a temptation for us to want to fall back into what we perceive as being a more spiritual culture, mm-hmm. and and it you know it appeals to our our uh, spiritual aesthetics and mm-hmm. our desire for how things are. And and the same reason why we struggle with in the churches of Christ trying to segregate ourselves and be different amongst each other rather than recognizing we're all one in Christ and and we kind of long for that desire to be called out again mm-hmm. in a physical sense rather than in a spiritual sense it's
2: like we want to have a religion of carnality um, where where there's a physical way that i can live out my spiritual and and, and yes there there's there there are evidences uh, physical evidences of my faith But those are the fruit of the spirit again I mean how do you know That I am a Christian My fruit is showing I mean what do you want I mean that's that, that. There's nothing more that we need to To crave We don't need to have some Something that we desire to make us Look more like The religion of the Old Testament But to be To live out in our heart with our actions the the heart of the matter which is to fear god and to obey his commandments do work out your salvation with the lord i mean what more do we need to do as far as like having a real religion
0: do justice love mercy, love mercy and, walk and walk humbly, humbly with, with your god, god yeah and,
1: and, and then you have to have the hebrew writer write an extensive piece of material all about trying to convince people of that that mm-hmm. point. Jesus is greater than and he steps it on down all of these different things. And we we so fail so so often fail to recognize Jesus's greatness, his superiority to these other things. Why do you cling to the shadow? Why do you cling to the thing that was a mere representation of what was to be? You know, why why would you come into the kingdom and then want to fall back away into this old thing. That's what the Hebrew writer is asking. Why would you want to do that after you've seen the reality? Why would you want to fall back into unreality? Mm -hmm. But that temptation is always there because, like you said, we, we want that carnal aspect of it. For whatever reason, is it laziness? Is it is it just?
0: And I think I think sometimes it's pride. I think that there are a lot of scholars now that, um, and, and there has been every generation has seen scholars arise that have said, "I have found the way." to interpret Christianity and interpret the Bible that nobody has ever seen before, because I've discovered this extra-biblical material that shows what people were thinking at the time that explains everything, and now I understand it and nobody else has, so gather around and let me teach you. And And that's very appealing. It's it's appealing for both for the scholar who originally comes up with it and for those that read it and say, okay, now I'm on his team and, and I'm going to live off of him a little bit and, and explain it to you. But like we just said— it's really not that hard to follow God. It's really not that hard. I mean, what He expects and the lifestyle of a Christian is—it's not, as Sam said many times—you know—it's not about being philosophers. It's about being disciples, and it's about—it's about going out and, and living good works. I mean, it, it's about—it's about keeping ourselves pure. It's about loving one another and being generous and 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 building up the body of Christ and telling other people about Jesus. I and mean, it's—it's a very simple message, and yet we we want to complicate it because. If it's complicated, then you know, it's like my car. If I buy a car that that can only be fixed by a mechanic, then I can't fix it myself, even if I knew what I was doing with any car. But um, I nobody can fix it themselves. They have to take it to the mechanic. They they build in this reliance upon themselves, and and that's exactly what theologians and scholars are doing more and more. It seems like, and this Hebrew roots movement, it's it's the same type of a thing. You
1: know I mean, that that's uh, what, one of the. <laughs> the boundaries of bible study mm-hmm. that, that that I've uh, talked about in the past you know if you're if you're studying the scripture You are not trying to unearth something that has never been considered by anyone before. Mm -hmm. You first must recognize that God's will has been revealed for an immense amount of time and the truth has been known. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna find something that no one has ever thought of. Are you gonna find something that you've never known before? Sure, if you're coming to the scripture new. Are you gonna find things that you have never considered? Yes, are you gonna find things that as you mature, you understand better? Yes, but you're not unearthing something that no one else has found. And you're not giving yourself that opportunity to take pride in yourself and to establish yourself to an apostleship-type level. Mm -hmm. Because those were the men who were authorized to speak on behalf of God. We're not. Mm -hmm. And when we try and do that with the Word, we're trying to take their mantle.
0: And I think, I think that sometimes we misunderstand that, um, you know, as Paul said, said to Timothy, that Scripture is, is God-breathed and it's, it's useful for teaching and rebuking and uh, correcting and training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So not only is, is Scripture inspired, it's also sufficient. And I think sometimes we, f- we fail to recognize that, that, that if—, if a teacher is telling you you have to have this extra biblical material to make you have to have these rabbinical writings from the 1st century or from the you know 3rd century BC or whatever in order to make the bible make sense Mm, I I have a really hard time believing that. Now, I, I don't mind accepting that it might give a little more clarity, but to make it say something that's the opposite of what it seems to say, especially if you read the entire Bible in its context, I truly honestly believe that with some wisdom and some some teaching from other Christians that if you just picked up the Bible you would be able to learn the will of God and you would understand what his covenant is all about and and you you need the the fellowship and the the edification of other Christians but all of the information you need is in the pages of scripture
2: but we're we're lazy i mean mm-hmm. and i mean and I, was, I i sent y'all a message today saying you know i think sometimes we want to have the bible be an encyclopedia so i can just say i want to look up uh, sexual sin okay what is it, exactly that No, i need the full i need all this stuff so that i can see exactly oh okay i want to know what i must do to worship you correctly and then i need to have like okay this is all okay that's exactly what it says all right so now i don't have to worry about like considering the whole bible in context i could just go look it up as a topic index you know and and we try to do that really. I mean, we we get our our topical bibles and then we look at like 18 different verses that aren't really connected and aren't really related or and we don't get the context of them and then we throw up a bunch of stuff and we we don't like why is it that we're so confused? Well, it's because we don't take the the Bible in its entire context. We don't take the Bible in the fullness of its teaching. We want to just take this piece and that piece instead of saying, "Okay, I'm going to read the Bible and As I go through it, I need to make notes and say, okay, I need to really pay attention to how this applies to my marriage because it's really talking about marriage here. And I need to look at this and see how it applies to my relationships with my brothers and how this and and all these different things and realize that there's, there's tidbits here and there that tell us the whole story of what God wants us to know. But it's not in every single place that you're going to find exactly what you need to know you have to you need to know the fullness of the word so you can have a full comprehension of it
1: every understanding that we draw from the scripture has to make sense in the light of the entire revealed will of god and we if we come up with a, an understanding that doesn't make sense when compared with some other part of the Scripture, then we've come to the wrong understanding in one place or the other, Mm. and we need to come to a a right understanding of that. We need to recognize, first and foremost, that the Scripture does not contradict itself, and we can't play Scriptures off of each other. I I think one of the reasons people struggle so much with the idea that they don't need the uh, intermediary scholar in order to learn God's will which you know, is very lovely and self-promoting for those of us who can set ourselves up as intermediary scholars and whatnot. But those the people struggle with that idea that they don't need that because they picture the, the other side of it, where they pick up God's Word and learn His will, as being this thing where they're alone in a room with the book, and that's all they ever do. Mm-hmm. Rather than recognizing that the most simple and, and basic understanding that they will first come to will bring them into the church, and it will bring them into the loving arms of mature Christians, mm-hmm. who will then take them the rest of the way. You know, and there's, there doesn't need to be that intermediary scholar, but the Scripture itself facilitates us being able to learn the truth by bringing us together and making it understood that we need to be having spiritual conversations with each other, and coming to a right understanding of the truth together. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I think that that is a modern phenomenon, because you think about before the invention of the printing press, people did not have Bibles, and, and that was a horrible time period for the most part, because people didn't have Bibles. Uh, And once people had Bibles, then you see this Great Reformation and saying, wow, we're not practicing the Bible. They're they're practicing what we see in Scripture. There's been all of this corruption. However, the more Bibles that were printed, and and now in the 21st century, now everybody has a Bible, not only a paper Bible, but now we have a thousand Bibles on our phones and every translation possible, then I don't need the church, I feel like. I feel like I can just sit in my room and I can read the Bible for myself and come to my own conclusions and that was never the will of god and and so you see in the first few hundred years of the church, you see people, the way that they read Scripture was they came together as a body and they read it, and it was taught to them and discussed amongst them, and so you, you have the body building itself up together in love, and that's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. So that that is real, and, that, and that's not to say we shouldn't study the Bible on our own. Obviously, we should be. We should be reading the Bible on our own, but we have to, as you just said, Sam, we have to be having these discussions, and so it, it's a beautiful thing, the way the church is supposed to be. And so, the first century, you had Jews. And God, and Paul never told them stop being Jewish, stop wearing Jewish clothes, and stop eating Jewish foods, and stop. No, no, you bring your culture and your background and and your thought process, and and you, you know, Gentile, you you don't have to become a Jew in culture. You come with your background and your experience, and your and and study God's word together, tolerate each other, build each other up, live pure and holy and loving lives together, and teach each other. And and, and if we would just do that in the church, and just listen to each other, allow each other to express our thoughts, and, and but just get into the Word and do so as a community of believers, We man, we'd be what we're supposed to be. A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McElgay, who helps make this show possible. If you enjoyed the Crosstalk podcast, please consider sharing it with others and leaving us a rating and review on iTunes. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.